Well, good morning, Miles City. We are so glad that you are here today. We are so excited to have you. And if you speak Spanish, we are excited to have you. For some of you might not know, we have Miles City Espanol, which we have some that join us for this service. We are so excited to have them as well. And I'm not sure if we're live here today, but if we are, if you're watching online, thank you. I don't see a red light back there, so I think we're good. All right, so are we live today here? Hey, welcome, welcome to you guys watching live. So uh, we don't have a red light on our camera, so that's cool. All right, but no, we are so glad that you came with us, especially on Mother's Day. And if you are here today with your mom, man, way to be a good kid. I mean, way to really love your mom well and come to church with her. Uh, we love celebrating moms. I hope after the service you take a minute to participate in all the stuff we got going out there. Eat those cupcakes out there, man. We got a bunch of cupcakes left, so we want you to eat some cupcakes. But we, before I jump into today's talk, I just want to take a minute and uh, thank God for our moms. So will you pray with me as we pray together? Lord Jesus, we come to you today, and we are so thankful that we get to celebrate our moms today. Thank you for those of us in here that have been raised by godly moms and moms that love us and care about us. We thank you for the privilege that we've had. Lord, today we pray for those that maybe this is the first Mother's Day that they aren't able to celebrate with their mom. Lord, I ask that you would speak peace to their hearts as they navigate this day. I ask that they would think about the good times that they had with their mom. Lord, we pray for those moms in here today maybe that are hurting, that are heartbroken. God, we know that you are the great healer. I ask today that your Holy Spirit would work in their hearts, calm their minds, speak peace to their hearts. Lord, thank you that we can come together today and open scripture and hear what it has to say to us. God, I ask over the next few minutes that you would remove the distractions from our hearts and our minds, that we'd be able to hear and listen to what you're trying to teach us from scripture. God, I ask that you would clear my mind, that you clear my heart. I said I'd say the words that you would have me to say that would honor you, that would speak the truth plainly and clearly. Lord, we love you today. We thank you so much for your love for us and how you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we are in the book of Daniel. If this is your first time with us, we're in the middle of a series in the book of Daniel, going through some truths that we see in Daniel and then daring us to take the challenges, daring us to take the steps, responding to those truths that we see. And today, the dare that we want to extend to you is that we want to dare you to wake up. We want to dare you to wake up. This is a wake-up call here in the middle of Daniel. All of a sudden, we see somebody getting a wake-up call. And when we Think of wake-up calls. If we're older, a lot of times we might think of the wake-up calls that we would get when we would travel and we call the front desk at the hotel and say, hey, I need a wake-up call at 6 a.m. And I don't even know if they do that anymore. And if you're under like 30 in here, you're like, what is a wake-up call? I have my phone to set the alarm. You know what I mean? And I remember I'm old enough to remember those wake-up calls. You got to get up early to catch the plane or whatever, and then you're nervous. Like, are they going to remember to call me at this time? And does this alarm clock that's from 1932 in this room work? And it's a, you know, it's those kind of, you think of those kind of wake-up calls. Maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking of some wake-up calls that have come in your life and some things that have happened or some people that have spoken to your life um, that can get your attention. I know there's been a lot in my life. I remember the wake-up call I got one uh, Sunday morning, late Saturday night, Sunday morning when my car had been stolen at college because I parked it in the wrong parking lot and we weren't in the greatest section of town. And the wake-up call of there was reasons behind I didn't want to pull onto the main campus and things like that, God getting my, atten my attention through that. I think of us as a country, if you're old enough to remember 9-11 and the wake-up call it was to our country and the response that 
we as Americans had the following days after that and how that affected us as a country. Maybe you're sitting in here today and you're one of the people that needs a wake-up call and you, you might not realize it now or you're like, yeah, there's some things in my life that probably I need to be woken up to. You say, but what does a story out of a book in the Old Testament written thousands of years ago have to do with me? Well, let me refer to another story that you might be familiar with to see why this is important. Uh, in 1912, there was a ship built by the name of the Titanic. All right, we know, a, lo- a lot of us know a little bit about it. We got a guy in here that knows a lot about it that I found out today. And so he's helped me with some of these facts to make this even better for you today. But 1912, they built this beautiful ship, the Titanic, that was supposedly unsinkable, which is weird to think about because when we think of Titanic, we associate sinking with it. But when they built it, it was supposed to be this beautiful cruise line ship, all these things. It um, goes out, and we know that that night, what happened? And here in 1912, there were several ships around the Titanic that were trying to warn it that there was icebergs. And one of the things I actually just found out this morning was... As you get closer to the shore, the radio on the ship sometimes would pick up people radioing from the coastline. And there was a lot of chatter that was going on on the radio, so much so that the guy inside was getting distracted. And one of the people that was radioing him, he should have listened to because he was warning him about the icebergs. But here was his response to this message that he got on the radio. He said this, he said, shut up. Not once, but twice. Shut up. If you're a kid in here, don't use the S word, all right? You're jamming our signal. I'm busy and I'm working. And so the guy that was giving the signal said, okay, turned off his radio and went to bed. And we know what happened to Titanic at 1140. The real wake-up call came when they hit that iceberg, sunk the ship, and 1,500 people lost their life. Here's the deal. They had all the information, but they didn't put the information into action. Skip Isaac said this, he said, information without appropriate action can lead to devastation. And so many times we have the information to change the course of our life. We have the information to make Jesus the Lord of our life. We have the information to make better decisions, to change the course or path of our life. But without taking action, where does that lead? We continue down this path, ignoring the information available to us at some point ends up in devastation. So the question as we listen to this story from Scripture today and we think about the characters of the story that we, I hope that you ask yourself are who or what do we need to hear to wake us up? Is there someone I need to listen to or is there something I need to listen to that is going to wake me up? So if you have scripture, in just a second, we're going to be in Daniel chapter 5. But I want to give you a little bit of history because I think it's important as we read through this passage that you understand what went on. Okay? In Daniel chapter 5, we read of this king named Belshazzar. Belshazzar hasn't been named in the book yet. This is the first time that you see him mentioned. And Belshazzar is a king that has all the information that he needs to, to avoid a disaster, a coming disaster. The city has been surrounded, Babylon has been surrounded by the Medes and the Persians. And he's sitting there with information that would help him, and yet he ignored it. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3, it's high time to awake out of sleep. And basically, Daniel 5 is an interruption to King Belshazzar's life. In fact, Belshazzar is throwing somewhat of what we would call a cocktail party. 
He's decided to party even though destruction is waiting at the gates. Imminent death is waiting at the gates. He's decided to throw a party and ignore what was going on around him. Now for years, history would argue that there was no Belshazzar. In fact, for many years they believed that, hey, we can't find any record of Belshazzar. We can find Nebuchadnezzar. We can find information on the kings that followed him. We can find information on King Nabonidus, but we can't find anything on Belshazzar. In fact, many professors would say, This proves that the Bible can't be true because they're making stories up. They're taking some truth from history, but then they're wrapping it around a lie because there was no Belshazzar. Well, all that changed in 1854. In some archaeological digs in southern Iraq, they found a clay cylinder called the Nabonidus Cylinder. And then the writing that was etched around the circumference was a prayer for long life and health for King Nabonidus and his eldest son, Belshazzar. And suddenly, out of the archaeological earth, all the critics were silenced because now there was proof that there was a King Belshazzar. And over the last 50 to 100 years, not only did they discover that Belshazzar existed, but more than likely his dad, Nabonidus, reigned for 17 years, but for 14 of those years, he didn't stay in Babylon. And so when he left the city of Babylon, he put his son, Belshazzar, in charge. Say, why is that important? Well, if you sit and read this chapter twice in Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar offers to make someone third in command. Say, that's a weird number. Why wouldn't you make him second in command? Well, because Belshazzar was second in command. His dad, the king Nabonidus, was still number one. So then it starts to come together. And really what we can see from this is we can be encouraged that Scripture is true. Once again, history, archaeological finds prove that the Bible is true. And for you that are students in this room, if you have professors that doubt that Scripture is true because it doesn't quite line up with what we have for history, just wait. At some point, it will be proven true. And this is a prime example of why we can trust the Word of God. So in Daniel chapter 5, we come to this interruption of this cocktail party that Belshazzar is throwing. And I think in this story, we can see some characters that speak to us. So Daniel chapter 5 and verse number 1 says this. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. 2 says this. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar his father. Now this statement here, Nebuchadnezzar, his father. In Aramaic, which is what the original language was written of this, and in Hebrew, there wasn't a word for grandfather. So really, Nebuchadnezzar more than likely was the grandfather of Belshazzar. In fact, there might have been kings that fell. There was two or three kings before his dad even became king. His dad was the son-in-law, more than likely, of Nebuchadnezzar. So when you see this, don't get hung up on the fact that it says father. Because when they translated this in Aramaic, there was no word for father. Just like it says Jesus is the son of David. We know that Jesus wasn't David's son, but he was in the lineage of David. And that's the terminology that they use. The same thing is being used here. So the silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be bought that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. It goes on in verse number 3. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. 
And the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. But then verse 5 says this. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Isn't it cool that scripture says his knees knocked together? Think about this. He's having a party, getting drunk, drinking out of the vessels that came out of the temple. Consecrated, set apart vessels he's bringing in to party with. And suddenly uh, fingers appear. Where on the arm was it cut off? Was it just a hand? Was it like, what was it? What was on the Adams family with the uh, hand just walked around? Did it walk up the wall and start writing in the plaster? Was it an arm? What, well, we don't know. But all of a sudden, I guarantee you that Belshazzar wasn't as drunk as he was a couple minutes ago. I'm a King James guy. I love how the King James said it, it says his knees smote each other. All right. And that's, it's, it's, the idea of he is scared to death. And what we see here is a scared king. Here comes Belshazzar and immediately God has gotten his attention. Sometimes fear can be a great motivator in our life, can it? I'm not saying we should walk around in the spirit of fear all the time. But there's things that we have a healthy fear of, such as a soldier has a healthy fear of his weapon or a cook has a healthy fear of the fire that's on the stove. There are numerous passages that talk to us, encourage us to have the fear of God in our life. That fear has the idea of having a reverence or an awe for the holiness of God. There's also the fear that God gives us when we know what right and wrong is and we choose to do wrong, we fear the consequences. Regardless of what types of fear we face in our life, we need to ask ourselves, how do we respond to those fears? God can use both those fears. God can use a, a healthy fear of God and a knee-knocking fear to wake us up, to interrupt us on the path that we're walking, to cause us to ask this question of ourselves, am I allowing fear to motivate or paralyze me? What causes fear in our life? Maybe it's stress or depression that contributes to our fear. Maybe we need to be reminded that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We need to stop being paralyzed by fear. The other side of that, God may be using fear to get your attention. Speak from experience and knowing that when you live in sin and you make bad decisions and you make wrong decisions in your life and the fear that comes of, what if my spouse finds out that I'm doing this? What if my coworkers find out that I did that? What will people think? That fear should motivate us to change the way that we're living. And we can be encouraged by the fact that fear can cause us to do right. See, we serve a God that loves us unconditionally. Oh, there's consequences to our actions. God doesn't save us necessarily from the immediate consequences of our actions, but he does save us from the eternal consequences of, of sin. And he loves us. And he draws himself to us and he can use that fear in our life to motivate us instead of paralyzing us. So here's this hand that writes on the wall. 
These words are carved into the plaster. I don't know how big it was. I don't know how big this hall was. Supposedly this was a pretty big room. And so imagine this giant hand carving into the plaster, the dust that it created. And they're looking at this. The king is afraid. So he calls all the people he can think of to determine what is written on this wall. It's written in a language that he doesn't understand and he needs help. And he promises all these men riches. All these men promotions. One of the verses says, I'll make you third in command of the kingdom if you'll just tell me what it says. But no one has any answers. Verse 9 tells us that Belshazzar is still greatly alarmed. But look who comes along in Daniel chapter 5 and verse number 10. The queen. Before you get hung up on this, this was probably his mom because it said earlier that his wives were at the party. So this was probably the queen mother. This was probably the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. If we look at history, we think that this might have been the daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. His mom, the queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall. No one else comes in, has anything to say, but a mom. I'm so thankful that at least there was some mention of a mom in the story today. Sometimes, Travis, we pick these things and we, it sounds great. And then they're like, oh, we're preaching on Daniel 5 on Mother's Day. This is fun. But thankfully, there's a mom in this story. So look what his mom tells him. He goes on to say this. Next slide. And the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. Verse 11 tells us this. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. We saw the scared king, but now we see the sensible mom. What a good mom coming in with some sound advice. Hey, Belshazzar, don't you remember the stories of your grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar? Don't you remember the people he took out of the land, the cups that you're drinking of, the people that came with those cups? The one that took a stand and said, hey, feed us vegetables and let us drink water and we'll be smarter and wiser than everybody else that's eating the king's meals. Those people, the ones that he threw in the fiery furnace that came out unscathed. Those ones, the ones that could interpret his dreams. When he went crazy for seven years and he came back and said, one, there is one true God and that's the God of heaven. The God of Israel. Don't you remember this? Don't you read the history? Don't you listen to the stories that I told you as a kid? Sensible mom. For some of us sitting in this room, we can be thankful for a mom that has common sense. I try to call my mom every Monday night. It's my tradition. I give my mom a call, talk to her. She turns 74 this year. It sounds weird to have a mom that's 74 when you're only 28, but it's a weird weird deal. I don't know why you're laughing. Um, But I love my mom, and my mom is a mom with a lot of common sense. Her sister's here today somewhere. It's kind of cool. My mom loves Jesus. I know my mom today is sitting in church. 
like she has for the last 73 years of her life. My mom, many times in my life, has shown me love that I don't understand or don't deserve. And she's spoken into my life and given wisdom and a lot of times just some good old plain common sense that I didn't have. And some of you in this room, you're sitting here today and you're thinking about and thanking God that you got a mom like that too. And if I would have listened to my mom a little more, it probably would have saved me some heartache. Some of you in this room, you say, I don't have a mom like that. Maybe she's passed away. Maybe you come from a broken home. Maybe you came from a home that your parents didn't do the best job raising you in the ways of the Lord. Can I encourage you, though, don't use that as a crutch to not let people speak into your life. So many of us, we use that and we use that. So well, I don't have people and we, we don't allow people to speak common sense into our life. It's so important to surround ourselves with people that are going to talk to us the truth. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says this, Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. You hang out with the wrong people, they're going to tell you the wrong thing. So many of us, we don't surround ourselves with people that can speak truth into our life. That's why it's important that you be in church on Sunday. That's why important. That's why we encourage you to join a crew or to get in a city group or a coaching group because it's so important that we have people that care about us and that are following Jesus speaking into our lives to encourage us, to guide us, to help us, to give us advice. The question we have to ask ourselves, are we listening to those who check us or wreck us? So many times we want people that are just going to tell us what we want to hear. The problem is we're heading down a path of destruction. We need people in our lives that are going to check us, that are going to call us out. Belshazzar surrounded himself with a bunch of people that didn't have the right answers. He left the one true guy in his kingdom that was following after God, the one that had already proved himself, the one that already knew what God was saying to him, he left him on the shelf somewhere. Oh, that was good for my grandpa. I don't need that. I don't need Daniel, this old guy, talking into my life. I just, I'm going to do things my way until the fur hit the fan and he didn't know what to do with himself. That's when he called the man of God. And thankfully, his mom remembered. So the story goes on. Daniel's called in and Belshazzar does his best to butter him up. He says, listen, if you interpret this I'll put a gold chain on your neck. I'll put purple robes on your body, and I'll make you third in command. But Daniel, in his age, he's probably anywhere from 60 to 80 years old at this point. This doesn't impress him. It seems like Daniel's attitude towards Belshazzar was totally different than it was towards Nebuchadnezzar. If you look at Nebuchadnezzar, even last week we talked about how when he interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, he said, man, I hope that this dream is not about you but somebody else. So I think Daniel saw God was doing something and wanted to do something with Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think he had that same attitude towards Belshazzar. In fact, look what he said to him in verse number 17. He said this, Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. More than likely, the city was surrounded at this point. 
Destruction was on its way because you're going to see what the story goes. Daniel knew what was coming. He's like, this is a waste of time. So in verse 22, he says, before he gets to it, he says, listen, you've forgotten all the things that your uh, grandfather Nebuchadnezzar knew. All the things that he understood, you've forgotten. So verse 20 says, you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your Lord, your wives and your concubine, have drunk wine from them. It goes on to say this. You have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. We saw the scared prophet. We saw the sensible mom. And now we see a savvy prophet. Daniel hasn't changed one bit. His reputation precedes him. It's amazing when we pursue God with all that we have, our reputation takes care of itself. Here he is in a foreign land that worships false gods, and yet they still know, hey, if we've got a question that we don't have an answer to, we're going to go find Daniel. Daniel has stayed true to his faith. He stayed true to pursuing God. We'll see next week that this was something that was, he did every day of his life. And here he is ready to speak the truth. Here's this prophet that's willing to tell people the truth, even though it might not be something they want to hear. This brings us to be reminded of the importance of allowing those who preach and teach Scripture to speak into our lives. The reason it's important that you hear what is taught from this stage is not because of our teaching team being some superhuman strength or superhuman knowledge and have all the answers. In fact, many times that couldn't be farther from the truth. What makes what we are saying important is where it's coming from, and that's Scripture. Are we allowing Scripture to speak into our lives? Are we just hearing it, or are we applying Scripture? You're hearing it right now. What you do with this, though, is on you. Hearing Scripture taught on Sunday is great, but what do we do with it during the week? We encourage one of our seven-mile markers that's sitting on the front of that green car that you have in your seat. One of our seven-mile markers is a daily encounter. We think it's so important to each day spend time in Scripture, to let God speak to you through His Word. His Word is alive. It speaks to us if we'll just open up its pages. When we get up here on Sunday, we've prepared a talk. We've prepared a message from the Word of God from Scripture. It's not our opinion, it's what Scripture says. Why? Because we know that Scripture can change our hearts and our lives. So many of us, we hear it, but we don't apply it. And God can use Scripture as a wake-up call in our life. God can use Scripture to get our attention. So Belshazzar is there. The plaster has writing on it. Daniel comes in. He gives a stern warning to Belshazzar, and then he translates the message. Look at verse number 25. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many tekel and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been found weighed in the balances and found wanting. It goes on to say this. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. And Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, 
A chain of gold was put around his neck and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Look how long this lasts in verse 30. That very night, Belshazzar the Chaldean king was killed. And Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. History teaches us that probably the city was already surrounded by the Medes and the Persians on this night. Cities surrounded and Belshazzar's throwing a party. Once that translation was given, once Belshazzar knew what it was, that night they came in and invaded the city. Some think they came through the, the waterway. They had a water. The, the, the city was impenetrable. We talked about last week how thick the walls were. They're 60 miles around and how thick they were and how tall they were. But they had to let water into the city. And they came through the waterway to get them. That night, Belshazzar was dead. It was too late for him. He didn't heed the warning, the warning from God. Instead of proclaiming a fast and seeking God's face, he proclaims a feast and blasphemes the one true God. Instead of repenting from his mistakes, he was repeating the mistakes of his family. Instead of being warned from God's judgments, he was wounded by God's judgments. He lived a life in defiance to the deity of God. Maybe today this is your wake-up call. When we look at the characters of the story, how do we relate to Belshazzar at all? Are we ignoring the wake-up call? Maybe we're Belshazzar, we don't know why he threw a party. Maybe he was so arrogant and figured out, hey, they can't get in. It doesn't matter how they can surround us. We're going to be fine. Maybe he was so arrogant he ignored the problems. He ignored the wake-up call. Or maybe he knew what was coming. Instead of dealing with the problem, he decided to drown his sorrows in alcohol. Make himself numb to the pain. Make himself not feel what was about to happen, hoping that it would just go away. Maybe today you're facing problems in your life. Maybe today there's issues that you need to deal with. Can we encourage you to allow this to be your wake-up call? Maybe there's some fear in your life that you're dealing with. Maybe fear of the consequence or maybe you need a healthy fear of God and understand that here. Fear shouldn't shouldn't paralyze me. Fear should motivate me. Who's speaking common sense into your life? Who's speaking the truth of God's word into your life? Who are you surrounding yourself with that has the ability to talk to you about the hard things? To call you out when you need called out? Who are you listening to? And how is Scripture affecting your life? Are you actually listening or are you applying? Scripture can change us in a way that no one else ever could, but if we don't ever open it, if we don't ever spend time in it, it can't do its work. There's Belshazzar he gets the writing on the wall, and that night he loses his life. It's all over. He was weighed and found wanting. That's a, that's a heavy phrase that you're there. Because to be honest, all of us are going to face a day where we will be weighed. I'm not talking about stepping on a scale. I'm talking about when we stand before an almighty God. It is appointed unto man once to die, after this comes judgment, Scripture says. That's not a verse that we like to speak about and talk about a bunch, but it's in there, and it's true. But here's the beauty of it. God took that phrase 
weighed and found wanting, and he nailed it to the cross with his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ loved us so much that he knew we could never measure up to the holiness, to the perfection of God, but he took the penalty for our sin. And he paid the price so that when we're weighed, we're not found wanting anymore. When we're weighed, Jesus covers us with his blood because he loves us. And when God sees us, he doesn't see our righteousness. He sees the righteousness of Christ upon us. To where now we're no longer wanting because we're fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Not because I come to church. Not because I read my Bible or prayer. Not because I'm a good person. But because of what Jesus did for me on the cross. That's how I get into heaven. That's how I have entrance to heaven. That's how I'm weighed and not found wanting. Jesus has done that because he loves you. And today if there's never been a time in your life when you accepted that free gift of salvation, it's free to us. It doesn't cost us anything, but it cost Jesus everything he had. But he did that because he loves us. And today, you can make that decision. You can make Jesus the Lord of your life. That's why he died. That's why he rose again three days later, so that he could have a relationship with us. So as we close today, I'm just going to ask us to bow our heads and be in an attitude of prayer. And if today is the day you might have heard this message a hundred times, this might be the first time that you've ever heard what Jesus did for you, but today you can make him the Lord and Savior of your life. If that's your desire today, if you say, Barry, I want to make him the Lord of my life, would you say something like this to him? Say, Jesus, I confess my sins to you. And I believe, Jesus, that you are God. I want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I want to thank you for rising again from the dead for me. Today I lower my pride. The best I know how, I make you the Lord of my life. Lord, for those said that prayer to you for the first time I ask that even right now your Holy Spirit would speak peace to their hearts that they would understand that this was the the biggest, the greatest the most important decision they could ever make Lord for those that are still searching those that are still uh, wondering if that's the step that they should take I ask that even now they would be drawn to you that your Holy Spirit would draw them and they would understand the love that you have for them God, I ask for those of us that know Jesus and we'd be honest with ourselves, do we need to wake up? Are we allowing scripture to speak to our hearts? Are we surrounding ourselves with people that will speak the truth into our life? Do we have a healthy view, a healthy fear of you? Do we have an awe and respect of you to where we want to pursue you? And Lord, I just ask that you would use those things in our life to get our attention. That we would take the knowledge we have and we'd act upon it. Well, thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now at Miles City, we believe that moving together is better. And so we ask some of you to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we would love to celebrate if you did that. So here's some ways that you could let us know. Because moving together is better. We don't want you to walk this alone. So if there's a green card on your chair... There's a spot on there that says, hey, I made a faith decision today. Check that, fill it out, drop it off. We'll follow up with you this week. You can catch me in the hallway. You can text the word Mile City to 94,000. Maybe that's your next move. You say, why do you want to know? Because we want to encourage you. 
We want to pray with you. We want to answer any questions that you might have.